You're listening to The Room Block Podcast, a series of conversations with compelling professionals from the world of events and hospitality. I'm your host, Jen Salerno. I've spent the last 20 years in different facets of the industry, working alongside a variety of people that have one common goal, to serve our customers by creating memorable experiences. Now, I want to share with you the passions, inspirations, and challenges of the individuals who make it happen. Welcome to The Room Block and enjoy your stay. This episode is brought to you by JTS Connect, offering host, MC, and moderation services for live or virtual events, as well as podcast hosting and consultation. Please email me at jtsalerno at gmail.com or visit me on LinkedIn to learn more. Greetings, RoomBlock podcast listeners. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the podcast where hospitality and event professionals meet. So here we are at what seems to be the tail end of the latest pandemic curveball. Mask requirements are lifting all over the country and after yet another round of canceled and postponed events, it seems like maybe, just maybe, things are moving in the right direction. Because I prefer to be a glass-half-full kind of person, I'm going to say that it seems like the right time to turn our attention back to in-person events and participate in some conversations about what these gatherings are going to need to look like from here on out. Or rather, what these gatherings are going to need to feel like. Why do you go to live events anyway? Especially now, when you actually have the option not to. Is it the networking? the content, the swag, I go for the buzz. No, not that kind. When I'm at a really good live event, I feel like I'm indulging in a feast for the senses and firing on all cylinders. It's hard to put into words what makes this happen. And having never worked in event design, it's not something I've been directly taught. But I know when it works and I know it's very intentional. I suppose if you participate in enough live events, you can start to pick up on the elements that make a live event actually worthwhile to attend. And if you also happen to be an author, you decide to write about it. This brings us to today's guest. Mark Hirschberg is the author of The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You, which provides actionable advice to all levels of professionals in the areas of career, leadership and management, and interpersonal dynamics. Educated at MIT, Marcus spent his career launching and fixing new ventures at startups, Fortune 500s, and academia. Mark helped create the Undergraduate Practice Opportunities Program, which is MIT's Career Success Accelerator, where he's taught for 20 years. Mark also serves on the boards of several nonprofits. In addition to his book, Mark wrote an article called Creating Engaging Conferences Your Attendees Will Love, where he applies his business acumen to the world of conferences. In this article, he outlines the elements a conference needs to provide the value attendees want in order to justify the time and money it takes to attend. Mark joins me in the room block to chat through some of these tips, which apply to before, during, and after an event, and pertain to anyone involved in the planning and execution. 
By the end of this episode, you'll walk away with some new tools for your next event and maybe even your next must-read book or keynote speaker. Mark's valuable insights are just what we all need as we navigate what's next. Mark Hirschberg, thank you so much for being on the Room Block podcast with me today. I'm very excited to welcome you to the show. I have to say that I think you might be one of the most educationally decorated guests that I have had <laughs> reading your your background. We've got MIT, we've got Harvard Business. So, I mean, I am very honored to have you on the show. So thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to share some tips with your audience. Yes. Well, and you know, it's funny because while my podcast is obviously dedicated to hospitality and event professionals, and I tend to have guests mostly from our ba- from this background, you are, well, you sort of have a little bit of a background in travel, uh, but there is a relevance to why you're here. And I mean, I just like to have conversations with professionals that can also serve our industry instead of also just being from our industry. So I think you are one of those kind of fringe guests where you're going to bring something really different to the show um, and being able to talk about some of the background that you have to offer. So first, I just want to say that, um, so Mark is an author. He wrote a book called The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. And so, Mark, before we get into the kind of meeting and conference aspects of of your background, could you tell us a little bit about the book? Sure. The book comes from not just my own career, but from having taught for 20 some years at MIT's Career Success Accelerator. And the skills in the book are the ones that research at MIT and at other universities have said, these are the skills companies want skills like leadership, networking, negotiations, team building, communication, skills we've all heard about, but they never taught us in school. We never got that in our education. So we created this program at MIT to fill in that gap. These are skills not just for engineers, but for everyone. So I've been teaching it for 20 years. And I said, you know, we know it's not just MIT students who benefit. I want to get this out to a wider audience. So I turned it into a book and a companion app and created that, which has been the past couple of years for me. And of course, that's gotten me out on the speaking circuit, which is why I spend a lot of time in the event industry. I was certainly as a CTO, which is my day job, chief technology officer, I was doing lots of events and speaking and even organizing some smaller events with my companies. But now I'm doing it not just as a CTO, but as a book author and a paid speaker as well. Well, and I have heard that when you write a book, you are really responsible for marketing yourself and marketing the book. Like it falls to you, to the individual author, like in a huge way. Is that right? hundred <laughs> percent. Occasionally people might get lucky. And certainly if you're a big name, if you're a celebrity, sure, they'll market it. But for everyone else, even when you have a publishing house behind you saying, oh, we'll make some calls, we'll try to get you on some TV and radio, it's still on you. Of the 200 plus podcasts I've been on, most of those came from me, from doing the legwork myself. The marketing I've done, most of it, I'd say 95% of it was all work I had to do mm-hmm. because I didn't want to count someone else. And of course, we all know when we put on an event, 
we say we can't just rely on other people to help market it. We can pay them to do so when they have to deliver, but we can't just cross our fingers. It is always on us to make sure the word gets out and you can't just hope someone else fills in that gap for you. So same thing with the book. Exactly. Oh, I like how you related that right back to event to the event world. <laughs> so thank you for that. No, it's true. Well, so I feel like we could have an entirely separate podcast just about the book. Um, and I, I, I do really hope to do that someday because it is a really amazing topic. And you are right. I didn't have any education like that. It just kind of comes from going through your career and learning some really hard lessons along the way of, oh, okay, this these are the skills that I need to have. And you just somehow develop them. But there is one area in the book, and you just mentioned it, negotiation skills. And I just want to see if you can give us one really strong takeaway about negotiating. Because I have to say that in in the meetings and events industry, hotels, everything, one of the main skills that we do need to have are negotiation skills. Um, just because, you know, negotiating those room blocks or those venue contracts or negotiating with you know whatever vendors you need to run the event. So any main takeaway you can give us from that before we get into a different topic? Here's one quick tip from the book, and there's a whole bunch more in there. Think of your favorite sports team. I'm actually not a big sports person, but the analogy is a real useful one. When you turn on the TV and you watch them play the game, say, oh, well, that's great. Spend a few hours watching them. Really great performance. Then you turn the TV off. What you don't see is that for every hour they spend on the field, they are spending tens of hours off the field training, planning, preparing. That might just be running a drill. That might just be physical strength training. It might be here's the team we're going to be playing and let's think about their strategy and our strategy and what we're going to do. We are only on the field in our jobs. And in particular negotiations for so many people, you walk into the room and say, well, let's start negotiating. But like a professional athlete, the work begins before you set foot in the room. And the best negotiators spend time preparing for the negotiation. Many spend more time preparing for the negotiation than actually time spent talking to the other party. So plan and prepare. And in the book, I've got a lot more details for how you can do that. Ooh, I love that. And what a good point. I think sometimes we forget <laughs> that the, what we see happening in front of us is the product of so many hours of work and preparation. And we Maybe, you know, watching that, assume that we should be able to just walk into a situation and make it happen, but that is not the case. And then, you know, again, that's where the hard lessons come in and you realize, wait, I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> and so read the book, everybody. I want to move on to uh, a different topic, and that is you sent me this blog post that you wrote, and it's called Creating Engaging Conferences Your Audiences Will Love. And it's a fantastic piece, and I really I want to talk about it here on the show today because you know it's obviously very relevant to my audience, and that's what we all do for a living. And I think that you know one of your main points of this article was that when you go to a conference, you we we don't want to go just for the content. Like that's if it's just about content, then 
forget it because content is everywhere. We're listening to it right now. People who are listening to the show, this is content. You know, we can read it. We can get it off the internet. We can get it all around us. So it's interesting to me, though, because you hear so often when you're planning conferences, they say, well, content is king. (laughs) So can you kind of talk a little bit about the importance of still having good content, but then how to also create an engaging conference around that content? Sure. I do not think content is king anymore. Okay. It needs to be decent, but experience is king. Now, the reason this has changed, when I think back to my own career, which started in the late 90s, back then we'd go to conferences and I went to lots of tech conferences as an attendee, as a speaker, and we'd go to hear the latest changes. And certainly in my field in technology, there was always something new every year. So we needed to go to keep up. What are the latest tools that we have to be aware of? But then something happened in the last 20 years. The internet really grew up. And now I can learn about the latest tools from blog posts, from great podcasts like this one, from articles, from videos, from webinars, from so many sources, from social media. I don't need to physically be at a conference to get the content. And we saw that taken even further as we just did things online this past year due to COVID. So I don't need to be there if all I am getting is content. Mm -hmm. And in fact, my experience has been content has almost, the value of content has gotten less to me, not because the content isn't necessarily as good, but I've gotten it before. I didn't show up to the conference and say, ooh, I never heard that before. Yeah, I heard that the other week. So (laughs) I can't just sell people come for this content because rarely is that content so unique that you can't get anywhere else. There are some events I go to where that is true, but that is the exception, not the rule. So what is it that we need to offer to get people to come? It needs to be something that isn't just, here is some content I'm spoon feeding you that I could have spoon fed you through a podcast or a blog post. And so there's a number of other tips that I go through, a number of other activities that you can do to make the experience better. Mm-hmm. Let's start with a common one, networking. Everyone says, oh, conferences, great for networking. And certainly as we come back after COVID, whenever that is, when we're recording it, we're in the middle of the Omicron spike. Yes, we are. <laughs> if we don't know when it's coming back. Okay, people are going to want to network because the reality is virtual networking, the I'm going to sit in some Zoom room with some strangers and network just doesn't work as well. But what have we done in the past? We've said, oh, we have that opening night reception. There's the cocktail bar, everyone mill about and talk to each other. People don't know what they're doing. They mostly talk to their coworkers and people they know. In fact, at conferences, I always like at lunch to sit at random tables, not with my coworkers, to try to meet strangers. It's amazing how many people don't know how to hold a conversation with a stranger or Who are you? Why are you sitting with us? No, it's a brave act, to be honest. What we want to do is create explicit networking events. And there are techniques I go through in the article. It's even as simple as saying, whoever you get to do your keynote, have that person right before you send everyone to the coffee break or send them to the event that night, say, you know what? We are here to network. I want everyone here to go out and meet at least three new people. That simple statement now gives people permission to meet each other. 
Now I can walk up to you instead of, um, hi, 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 I'm Mark. Say, <laughs> hey, the MC said we should meet three new people. I'm Mark. I'd like to meet you. You're giving people permission to network. You can do more specific activities like creating networking around certain topics. It's even as simple as at lunch, you put a little sign on a table and say, this table is for this topic. This table is for that topic. Everyone who shows up to that table now has a common interest they can start talking about. Little changes that are basically no cost can really change people's level of networking, can change their engagement to it, their openness to it. And when they come out and say, that conference, I met so many great people, that's going to make them a repeat attendee to your event. That's going to make them rate your event highly. Because very rarely do we say, wow, that was amazing content that blew me away. If we're lucky, maybe one talk was incredible. You don't get much more than that. But if you meet so many people, you're going to say, wow, I've never had a conference where I met so many great people. That's what's going to sell them. And that's what's going to bring them back. Well, it's like creating those experiences that you're having with other people. I, I, I think that's what you're getting at is just making sure that people walk away remembering how it felt to talk to so many new people and remembering what they experienced together. I think that's a, a phrase now, you know, return on experience, um, which is, you know, instead of just return on investment, because it's, it is about, you know, what are you doing to try to bring people together and to make them remember? And so I was thinking when you're talking about, you know, you said it, it, basically it's networking, right, that we're talking about here, but doing it in a way where it's not that dreaded, you know, cocktail hour of where it's super awkward. And it's funny because the things that you're talking about, it's almost like you're tricking people <laughs> into gently networking without really knowing it, you know? I mean, setting setting up these little table topics or having the MC give some kind of direction. So it's, it's a definitely creative way to get people to have those engaging moments together and then remember the experience. So yeah, very cool. It's the term is choice architecture. And if you've read books like nudge or push, they talk about how to do this little things that change human behavior. I used to watch bar rescue, the TV show. And one of the things John Taffer does is when he sets up a dance floor in a bar, he puts in railings and creates, it's it's like a butt something, I forget what he calls it. And it's basically (laughs) a narrow space where people kind of have to squeeze past each other. And similar to how at a club, we know the music is loud and that creates energy. And you also have to lean in closer or talk to someone, which creates intimacy. The club, by just making those little environmental changes, alter how people engage. John Taffer's, the way he creates that entry space where I have to squeeze past one, that creates a certain type of intimacy. So doing things like the tabletops that have a term on it, or letting people do some spontaneous events based around a topic, and go through a whole bunch of things you can do, mm-hmm. gives them, it's, you're creating that choice architecture that just nudges them in a certain direction to foster the new behavior that you want. So you're not forcing anyone, you're not tricking anyone, but you're creating just a little bit of encouragement and it really has a tremendous effect. Choice architecture, that is super interesting. All right, I'm, I'm gonna look more into that. And the way that you're talking, I feel like it's opening up a whole bunch of doors for those event designers out there because 
man, I mean, their jobs are so much bigger now than they ever were in the past. When So before, when it was just about the content <laughs> and maybe, you know, setting up a few networking receptions, but, you know, opening the bar and calling it a day, you know, I mean, like that was good enough <laughs> at one point in time. But now, I mean, there, I feel like this industry just keeps growing and growing and growing by the sheer number of different people that need to be involved with planning these events to be able to create these kind of experiences that you're talking about. But, you know, on one hand, people might be listening and going, gosh, is it even worth it? Is it even worth it to try to do this? Um, because in, in that article that you wrote, I thought it was very funny how you talked about, oh, sure, going to conferences when you're in your 20s is like super exciting. You know, you're staying in a hotel and you're and you're getting free food or, well, you pay for it, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a wow experience when you're first starting off in the industry. But then these are the things that we need to do to keep people wanting to keep coming as we progress in our careers. You know, when you reach that midpoint. You need to have something that's a little, you know, it's offering more, frankly, and does make it worth it to attend. Right. As I say in the article, I don't need another T-shirt. Please, God, don't give me another water bottle. I live in a New York City apartment. My cabinets are overflowing with mugs and water bottles. I don't want them. I actually <laughs> give them away to certain nonprofits. Yes. But what do I need? One of the best things I got from a conference a few years ago, they hired a photographer and had him just set up and you could walk over, queue up, and he would take a professional headshot. Now, those of us who are executives, we often get this through our company, but everyone who's not an executive, they need a good headshot for LinkedIn, for their social media, for something. And it doesn't cost you much. Hiring a photographer, hiring a local photographer is relatively cheap. Everyone walks away with a headshot. That is fantastic. And something they'll say, oh, I remember getting this headshot from this conference. Exactly. There are other types of services for individuals and businesses you can offer. You can even get, I go through how some vendors might even give it away for free. So imagine if you're targeting, if you have an event targeting solopreneurs or small businesses, you can imagine a marketing agency might say, we're going to set up a booth and we will do a free 10 minute consultation on your website. And so I says, oh, this is great. I got some immediate feedback. I should think about changing my colors, changing my fonts. Wow, I never thought about this. I'm a small business owner. I don't have time to go through this. Meanwhile, that agency, they might even do it for free because imagine they just got to talk to hundreds of people who may now need help redoing their website. They, in some cases, might even pay you to be there to give away for free. And that's, of course, what vendors do when vendors of course, get the booth. But when you can think about small services, whether it's direct to the theme of your conference or whether it's just this helps our conference attendees, even if it's not our theme per se, the LinkedIn headshots, I got a cybersecurity conference. LinkedIn headshots were not part of cybersecurity, but it was of value to those of us going. Those little things can make the event worthwhile as opposed to I'll just pay for the virtual experience, which is much cheaper, and I'll just go watch the videos later. Yeah, exactly. And then how do you think that today's world is going to make these different experiences and these different touches that conferences can offer more important? And what when I say today's world, I mean, you know, the, everyone's talking about like the great resignation, and you have so many people who are maybe trying to go off on their own. 
and and do different things. And so they're not getting the same kind of supports that they might have been getting f- if they were employed by a company. You know, they're not getting there is not a professional development budget <laughs> that they are able to lean on. So do you feel that conferences have an opportunity to cater to this new kind of way that people are working today? I think so. Certainly, we might see more, I'm going to call them micro-conferences, the one-day type of events that are smaller, not a lot of overhead. You're not renting these large centers, just a small event. In fact, you could probably do them at times that are off-peak, where you're not really using a lot of the event space and event resources otherwise. These small conferences get people together. Now, here, you're not going to have a lot of the overhead and some other things I talk about in the article. But even if you do these small, low-cost things like the networking we talked about, oh, I'll take a day, I'll go to this event, I'll get some content. Maybe I could have gotten the content elsewhere, but I'll get some content, but I'll engage with other people in ways that I wouldn't have otherwise. That's worth a day of my time. That's worth maybe $100 or some lower price point. And so I think we'll see more of those. We're also going to see more community building. And I talk about this a bit in that the conference itself you think about 365 days a year. If it's a big conference, this is what you do. As soon as you're done with the conference, as soon as you wrap up, you're starting to schedule it out for next year. Mm -hmm. As an attendee, I think about it for maybe about four days a year, the day I book, and then the three days I attend. (laughs) And then I'm off doing something else. So you want me to think about more than those four days. You want to do that by engaging me at other times. Now, you try to do that by just spamming me with email. Of course, we all do that, right? And we all know, like, okay, right, yeah, reminder, you know, early bird discount, a reminder, we have this talk or something. Yeah, okay, I glance at because I have 200 other emails that day. Can you offer me something of value? Now, one of the things you can do post-conference I talk about is when you hire a keynote speaker, what many of us are doing now We'll say, okay, I'll come, I'll do the talk in person, and we'll have, typically it's live streamed to maybe the virtual attendees, but then I can do a follow-up, whether it's for your gold level members or it's for everyone, I can do a follow-up, maybe three follow-up sessions over the next six weeks. That's just a half hour more intimate Q&A with a handful of people. Maybe we take some of the comments that were being typed into the virtual part And I can go through that and generate just a small follow-up talk based on that, responding to some of the points or topics. Or maybe I create a blog post for you or an email that you send out. And so what you can do is generate more content from that one talk and re-engage the audience with it. For keynote speakers like myself, okay, this isn't that much extra work for us. You're not putting me on a plane again. I'm not losing two days of travel. Right. 30 minutes sitting from my home doing a video chat. I can do three of those. I can throw that in without really upping the cost of my package much. So you can do things like that, or you create a full-on community, perhaps across multiple conferences, where people are engaging not just at the conference, but with content elsewhere. But that's to really build a community effectively. That is a long-term strategy. Don't just think you can you can throw on some chat function and suddenly your conference is a community. It's a real long-term strategic commitment. <laughs> but it sounds like it's definitely worth it. And it's the kind of thing, you know, 
again, to touch on, and I, I almost talk about people like myself, you know, where I, I was formerly employed by a large company and now just being on my own, I'm seeking community, you know? So with, when I do go to a conference, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to go and I'm, I'm relying on those three or four days to you know, give me everything that I, what I'm looking for, the content, the networking, the experience, all of that. But then what about the rest of the time? You know, I, I do hunger for that community. So that is awesome that there's a lot of opportunity to continue to engage attendees in that way. Um, so thank you for those ideas. And, you know, I think that more conferences should have uh, podcasts, frankly, <laughs> you know, to keep that content going year round or you know, even in a series. Yes, they should. In fact, that's a great idea. Imagine if you have your podcast host at the conference, you can pull different people there in for 20 minute, 30 minute recording sessions. You can generate 20 of them over a couple of days, maybe even 40 or 50. Now you have a year's worth of content exactly. related to the conference. That's very easy to do. That is a great idea. But let me share when we think about some of the conferences out there that have the strongest brands. I'm thinking TED Talks. I'm thinking Burning Man. It's not a traditional conference, but it is in the, the sense of it's a gathering, Burning yeah. Man. My personal favorite, this isn't well-known public, I go to Renaissance Weekends, not Renaissance Fairs. Renaissance Weekends are closer to TED Talks. Oh. In all these groups, it is very interaction-oriented. So Burning Man, of course, you're there to interact with other people. What happens? There are Burning Man groups in every city. There are monthly mm -hmm. Burning Man happy hours that go on. And people, of course, plan ahead of time when they're going to Burning Man. They have community groups. They have smaller gatherings. The Renaissance Weekend that I am part of, we have unofficially local groups in different cities because we have built relationships with each other that we want to engage with each other, not just when we're at the official events. And so by creating more of these interactions between people, that is going to lead you to stronger communities. Definitely. Well, so now I'm thinking there's a conference that I'll be attending. Well, at the, at the time we're airing this, it is going to be in January. But uh, so who knows <laughs> where we're at um, after, when this goes live. But it's a it's it's the PCMA, Professional Convention Management Association. It's great. Fantastic conference happens um, every year. Um, and but there are, you know, local chapters of PCMA around the country. But I'm thinking, you know, it we meet in those chapters, we volunteer with those chapters, and then we all convene at the conference every January. But, you know, there's a way to maybe draw in each of the chapters to involve them in creating content or experiences to actually happen at the main conference every year. And I don't know if that's something that really happens that much. You know, they gather at the conference, but it's almost like that's a way that you could engage everybody throughout the year as well by trying to, you know, get them saying, hey, you know, throughout the year, now we're going to work on, you know, creating like a workshop or, you know, every every chapter gets to have their own special, you know, function at the main conference. Oh, just throwing things out there like that, whoever's listening, you know, <laughs> just different ideas. Um, because it is it is important to keep that going throughout the year. I totally agree. That's a great one. If each chapter came and you had an event that lasted an hour or two, as each chapter got five minutes to talk about highlights from the year. 
And that could be the most interesting things they learn from perhaps some of the speakers they brought in. It could be the best ideas that they had, what worked. Maybe it's even failures. People go in that direction. Oh, we tried to do this. It was a disaster. But now you're sharing from group to group. I'll bet that would be one of the most highly attended talks at the event. I think it might because it's it's your peers, you know, and it's, it's, it's sharing those best practices. And, you know, as much as we love to hear from experts like yourself, <laughs> you know, it is also something else to hear from people that are, are in the trenches with you doing the same work that you're doing and then the ways that you're succeeding. So very cool. Well, so Mark, um, before we close off our conversation, and I wish we could keep going because there's, I feel like there's so much more to talk about. And I like bouncing things off of you um, because you're not directly related to this industry, yet you have such a great insight on how people think and the way that we can succeed in business in general. But you, you have mentioned a few times that you are a speaker. So if you would like to tell the audience how they can find you, if you are, if you're out for hire, then um, how can we find you? You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. Certainly you can learn more about the book. You can get in touch with me or follow me on social media. You can go to the blog, which includes the blog post that we mentioned earlier, how to create engaging conferences that your audience will love. You can also go to my resources page where I have lots of great resources. If you want to develop some of the skills that we talked about further than what you get in the book and there's a free app, but you can get in touch with me to book me for events, workshops, keynotes. You're also welcome to reach out if you just want to talk through some of these ideas. I'm happy to chat with you when you're saying I'm doing a conference. How do we incorporate some of these ideas? I'll jump on a call with you and walk you through some choice architecture or other things you can do to make your conferences better. So you can reach out to me and find me at thecareertoolkitbook.com. Thank you very much. And I will link to all of these things in the show notes, of course, as well. And so Mark, just one final question, and I don't mean to put you on the spot with this one, but I ask each of my guests before they leave, if you would like to issue a compliment or a complaint about anything <laughs> anything at all it doesn't have to be related to conferences or your job or anything like that just anything in the world that you want to have a little quick you know rant about or rave about well that is a broad question I know. <laughs> and i can i can go in so many directions positive and negative but i am just going to put out a big thank you to scientists throughout time, not just the ones today, the scientists and medical professionals who have kept us safe, but really scientists and engineers throughout history who have continued to drive forward human progress and constantly give us more options, more opportunity, better security. Everything we have comes from improvements in science and engineering. And thank you to everyone who has stood up against all the darkness all of the mythology and everything that has stood in the way of rational thinking. And despite the risks that they undertook, they moved forward and moved our civilization forward. Thank you to all of them. Oh, that is good. I love that. That's like a nod to your, just your past, your career, um, as well as what we're facing today. And just, it is absolutely correct. I, I marvel at where we're at as 
uh, you know, as humanity in general, it, it's it's pretty amazing when you think about it. So it's it's a good moment to stop and be grateful for all that we have and how far we've come and all that we are continuing to learn because it pushes us all forward in so many directions. So thank you for that. Well, again, Mark, thank you for being on the show today. I really appreciate you coming on and having this very interesting conversation about your book, conferences in general, and thank you for just being you. (laughs) Thanks for having me on the show. 